Today's scripture is taken from page 1008 in the church Bible. In the back, uh, it's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. As you find your page in the Bible, I just want to encourage us to continue to pray for Liberia. And for that matter, all the countries along the West African sub-Saharan coast who is currently plagued by the Evora virus. Uh, Unless God really intervenes, this may be historically catastrophic. So we are asking that you please join us to pray for uh, those countries uh, along that line. I keep saying Liberia because, as you all know, I'm from Liberia. Um, there are a lot of experts on the ground, ranging from local doctors to foreign doctors, public health practitioners, um, doctors of our borders, and even the CDC. And they are making substantial strides against this virus. But ironically, the disease continues to proliferate. That's the mystery of it. Uh, as of last week, the World Health Organization uh, put the Ebola-related death to 1,400-plus people in Liberia alone. So for a country about the size of tendency to have that kind of statistic, it's alarming. So let's continue to besiege God's throne. So much for that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 11. By, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. God bless the reading of his word. Well, I'm glad that Z shared that with you about Liberia. It's very important. We're so grateful to have Liberian members in our church. And uh, we love to see a little sampling of the nations in front of us. For those who don't know, my name is uh, Pastor Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Heritage Baptist Church. We're in a series right now um, called By Faith. And we're walking through really the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So I'd like for us to pray as we begin this morning and uh, ask for God's help. Let's, let's go to him. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of studying your word. Thank you for hungry hearts. Thank you for the teachability, the receptiveness and humility of your people. Thank you for the respect uh, that you have worked in our hearts for God's word. Readiness to hear what you have to say and to receive it as the very word of God. Help us now, Lord, as we learn that we would give our full attention to your truth, that we would align ourselves more faithfully to it, that this would be our desire that we would grow through this and that we believe that you will grant this to us because you're eager to glorify your name. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. 
Amen. I wonder how long would you wait for a good friend of yours to keep a promise? Would you wait a month? Would you wait six months? Do you think you could wait a year? Well, Sarah had to, who was the wife of Abraham, had to wait for 25 years before the word of God was fulfilled in her life. Faith, in part, means waiting on God. And that's part of what faith involves. It's, it's waiting on God to keep his promises. It's one of the reasons, in fact, that I love Hebrews chapter 11 because Hebrews 11 isn't about half faith. It's not about the benefits of faith so much as, as it is what faith looks like, how it works, how it practically works itself out in the life of believers. So it's very practical. And today we consider what faith does. It waits on God. That's one of the things that faith does. It waits on God. Well, come on, Jonathan, tell us something. I mean, we don't do well with waiting. We can't stand to wait. We, we don't like waiting in line. We don't like waiting at the gas station. We don't like waiting for our food. We just don't like to wait, period. Waiting is something that we stink at. Uh, we get frustrated at it. And all the more troubling to us is the fact that sometimes it seems as though God's number one tool in his toolbox to sort of chisel our character is the waiting tool. I mean, how often does it seem like he pulls that tool out and he's constantly working on us patience. He is, he is, he is going after us. He is causing us to endure something that we don't want to endure. It seems like God's, it's one of his favorite methods. God's like, we're going to change her. We're going to change him. We're going to make him wait for a, for another week or for another month, or we're going to make him wait for years or for her. We're going to make her wait for years before she's able to give birth to a child or before she's able to be married or something of that nature. Now, I know there's a lot of people here this morning that are waiting on God for something. I mean, you want him to move. Uh, you want him to act. Uh, you want him to do it now. But your hope up to this point has been deferred. And in this season, God is calling you to wait on him. So I want to talk about the faith of waiting this morning. And hopefully we'll all leave with a better understanding of this essential element of our faith. Let me, uh, let me kind of start here with a definition of waiting. I was just thinking about what does that mean biblically speaking. And I would say that biblically speaking, waiting is trusting God to keep his promises in his time. Okay? Now, scripture has a lot to say about this. So while you're sort of thinking about that definition of trusting God to keep his promises in his time, I want to review with you some verses. The Bible acknowledges that waiting is not easy. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 69, 3 says, I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Psalm 62, 1 says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. My salvation comes from him. Psalm 27:14 says, "Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait 
for the Lord. Psalm 25, 5 says, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. And for you, I wait all day long. It's hard, isn't it? But the reality is this is pretty relevant stuff for us. I mean, let me just give you some examples of, of some things that we wait for. Um, we, we wait on God for a lifetime partner, for a spouse. Young people, listen up. Wait on God for your spouse. If you're in college, don't be distressed, but you need to be forming in these days convictions about the type of person that you want to marry and begin praying about that. If you're a young adult in your upper 20s or even 30s, don't take matters into your own hands and go out and try to get something for yourself that you think God should have already provided for you. Wait on him. We, people get themselves in a world of trouble not waiting on God. And if you're in high school, just keep on waiting because you got some time. All right. So here's another one. We wait on God for the salvation of a loved one. And that's, that's, that's relevant for many of you out there. Do, you know, don't have a hopeless attitude about this because first Peter tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not delight in seeing your children and family lost to the world. That doesn't make God happy. So don't give up hope. Keep on trusting and praying for the salvation of your loved ones. Here's another one. Some of you want to have children. Wait on God. Psalm 127 says the fruit of the womb is his reward. The church is, this church is filled with examples of babies that were born from doctors who said to parents, you'll never have children. Church is filled with people with examples of that. And then a second child comes and a third child. And in some cases, a fourth child. And the doctors were wrong. God came. He showed up. Children came. So that's possible. So just keep praying and without complaining, do this in faith. Or here's another one. Some of you are waiting on God for a healing. Healing of a relationship. The healing of a physical disease. The healing of the mind, heart, or emotions of a loved one. The truth is sometimes the things that we pray for, we wait on, and they don't happen. And, and, and in some cases, they won't happen until the new earth. But our eyes are on God and we will trust him and we will wait for him for whatever he wants to do in our life. But here's the thing. Either way, we win because if God chooses to bless us now or he chooses to bless us later, a day is coming when God's full blessings will come and we will no longer wait. There is a day coming when waiting will not be anymore. Trusting God to keep his promises in his time is what we're called to now. But in his time might be later. It might be someday. But we will trust in him. Waiting is hard. But here's the good news. God never asks us to wait without him. God has promised to be with us always. Now, of course, we will struggle to wait on God. Sarah waited, as I said, 25 years before God's word was fulfilled. And so this story of Sarah is a story of a woman who, together with her husband, believed God and they received a very great reward. Last week, uh, with Brother John, we considered how faith, this faith, which was produced by grace, did some things in Abraham's life. For example, in verse 8, just dip back to verse 8, we see that faith caused Abraham to obey even when he did not know the way. He just got moving. He didn't know where he was going. Verse 9, it caused him to endure in the midst of a wilderness, living in tents. Verse 10, it caused him to anticipate his future. He was looking to a reward. 
And then in verse 11, we see today that it causes Sarah to wait on God. So obedience, endurance, anticipation, waiting. This is the kind of things faith works in our life. The point is faith works. Faith does some things. Now, for the rest of our time this morning, what I want to show you is how faith worked actually in the life of Sarah. It was a faith that staked its confidence on the character of God. And so these verses praise the faith of a woman who lived 4,000 years ago. Her story, if you want to read it in detail, is found in Genesis 12 through 23. But our text highlights three aspects of her faith that are worthy of consideration. Okay, First, I want you to notice the struggle of Sarah's faith. That's an appropriate place to start because... You know, it's always hard to kind of hear a sermon about somebody who's just got it all right. They've done it all perfectly. And you're just looking at that thing. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to measure up to that. So we meet Sarah in the midst of struggle, which is so helpful for us. Verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, so there's obviously some very real obstacles in the way of Sarah's faith. First, she was barren. Her whole life was a life of infertility. Second, she was old. She was well past the age of childbearing. Anybody know any 90-year-olds that are on the verge of giving birth? And third, think about this. These two things work together to produce in Sarah a real spirit of doubt and disbelief. She's old. She's barren. God's given her a promise. She's worn out. I mean, and so all this is working together to say, I don't believe this. I'm struggling to believe what God has said. And here's what happened. God told Abraham that Sarah would give birth to a son. At that time, Sarah was 65 when the promise was first made. But now, 24 years later, when Sarah is 89, three men show up at Abraham's tent and they tell him that Sarah will give birth In a year. And Sarah's inside the tent. And when she hears this, what does she do? She laughs. She laughs. She's so, it's so incredulous that she laughs. She says, here's what she says directly. Here's a quote. After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now I want to stop right there. And I just want to unpack that for a minute. When Sarah says, shall I have this pleasure? You know what she's saying? She's essentially saying that Abraham and I have not even been intimate in years, probably. We're old. We're tired. Besides Abraham, a man of his time, he would have been deeply disappointed in Sarah because she couldn't have children. And and in that time, a woman who could not bear children was considered a disgrace. She was considered an object of pity. And we would be quite naive to think that this did not have an alienating effect on Abraham and Sarah's marriage. In fact, Abraham and Sarah's marital friction is palpable in Genesis 16.5. You ought to read Genesis 16.5 and you can see, all right, these guys are, they're fighting. They've got some issues. And Sarah's anger is, is angry there at both Abraham and Hagar. So at this point in their life, after a difficult marriage, after a barren womb, after a disappointed life and a somewhat alienated husband, Sarah thinks that the idea of changing diapers and breastfeeding at 90 is ludicrous. 
I mean, you can imagine why she's laughing. So, and I mean, can you really blame her? Don't you think you would have done the same thing? See, here's the problem. Her problem is that her laugh says something about her heart. And would have said something about our heart. Her laugh was a laugh of doubt and disbelief. And it's because of this that many people actually struggle with why Sarah is included in Hebrews 11 at all. I mean, people get tripped up by this. Like, I don't get it. I read Genesis 12 through 23, and I'm reading Sarah, and I'm not seeing somebody who's this great woman of faith. And in some cases, they're right. I mean, there is a lot of mess there. Why is she in the hall of faith? It's a troubling question for some. But let me try to offer you an answer. First thing I want to say is this. I think it's unfair to judge Sarah based on a single incident in her life. I mean, would you like it if somebody came to you and judged your whole life on a single episode? And one that's quite understandable in light of the fact that she's both infertile and past the age of childbirth. I mean, we would have laughed the same. We would have done the same thing. So I think we need to cut her some slack, number one. Number two, uh, Sarah has already proven that she was a woman of faith, right? I mean, didn't she follow her husband into the wilderness? She's the one, the woman who stayed with Abraham throughout all those long years of danger and hardship in the desert, which is no small thing. I mean, ladies, imagine that your husband comes home after a long day and before he even greets you, he says, pack up, we're leaving. And you say to, you, you say to him, and your first question is, well, where are we going? And he says, I don't know. And, and what will you say? You'll probably say something like this. No, hun, with all due respect, we can't go anywhere with the kids and the mortgage and the grandparents. And so, I mean, unless you can tell us kind of where we're going, no, we can't do this. That's how we would respond. But how did Sarah respond? This is why Sarah set forth as an example in the New Testament, because when Abraham came home and said, Sarah, we're moving, and she said, where? And he said, I don't know, but God has promised to take us there. Sarah said, count me in, count me in. That's faith. So even though Sarah laughed in unbelief, she did not continue to laugh after God corrected her. In fact, it seems that her attitude changed that God gave her fresh faith. Think about what's really going on here, okay? We're back to Sarah inside the tent laughing. She's 90. God comes to Sarah. What he's really saying to her, I mean, just think about this, is I know you're old and tired, but I want you to be intimate with Abraham again. I want you to have sex by faith. That's what he's saying. I want you to make a baby at 90. And she laughs and God says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Now that word difficult can also be translated wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? You see this request for Sarah to be intimate with Abraham at 90 and bear a child is an invitation not only to trust God, but also to wonder at his work. And and there's a lesson in that for us. If we're willing to wait, we will marvel at what God does. See, we're just so eager to jump the gun. I mean, if God's not going to do it, then we're going to pull an Abraham and, and Sarah and go find a Hagar. Take care of it ourselves. 
And God is saying, if you're willing to wait, and if you endure the waiting season, I will show up and do something marvelous in your life. Well, that's the struggle of Sarah's faith. Now, look at the foundation of Sarah's faith in the second place. The foundation of Sarah's What sustained her as she watched each year go by? This is a, this is a good question. 5, 10, 15, 20, 21, 22 years And each passing year, the virility of their bodies was failing. And and during those 24 years, she was reminded of the fact that she had never been anything but barren and infertile. So, I mean, what in the world sustained her faith? Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age because she considered him faithful who had promised. The secret of Sarah's faith is that it was rooted in two things. First, it was rooted in God's word, his promise. And secondly, it was rooted in God's character. Sarah received power because she considered him to be faithful who made the promise. So you got a person and a promise. And, 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 and the promise of God and the character of God, and both these things sustained her faith. And that's what she anchored it in. Now notice the word considered. She considered him faithful. That is, she reckoned God to be faithful. In other words, Sarah did some theology. Her faith was the result of a careful consideration of the character of God. It's amazing how theology and life intersect at a practical level. Powerfully. What did she do? She weighed. Here's what she did. She weighed the human possibility of becoming a mother at 90 versus the divine impossibility of God telling a lie. You see that? She said, it's totally, it seems totally impossible for me to give birth, but it's even more impossible for God to lie. So I'm going to go with God on this one. And at that point, you see, there's no contest. In fact, she, to, to give up believing the promise would be for her to assign character a flaw to God, for her to assign sin on God's character. And, and that's tempting, isn't it? It's tempting for us to do that because it makes no sense to us. I mean, if I can't understand it and wrap it around my little mind, then I'm going to be in a place, of, 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 of te- I'm gonna, place where I'm tempted to just take matters into my own hands. But we don't have to understand it, friends. The only thing we have to know is that God said it. And if God said it, then he'll do it. And that's what we need to know. God will reverse the laws of nature if he needs to in order to keep his promise. He did that. This is the God who brought water from a rock. This is the God who caused an axe head to float on water. This is the God who fed two million people in the wilderness. This is the God who by his word caused the walls of cities to fall down that parted the seas and that fed his prophet through wild ravens. And this is the God who opened up the womb of a woman who had long passed the days of her fertility. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, if you will trust God, you must learn to crucify the question how. Faithful is he who called you and he will do it. See, here's the point. Sarah's faith went beyond the promise. The word of God was important. The promise of God was important. But the character of God was so much more important. See, when she considered the promise, she doubted. But when she took her mind off the situation and fixed it on God himself, her doubt went away. 
Her heart rested in God. She knew that God could be depended upon. Sarah looked beyond the promise to the promiser. John Owen says, The proper object of our faith is not found in the things God promises, but in God himself. His essential character of truth, faithfulness, and power. See, when God makes this promise, or any promise for that matter, we don't ask how, we just trust. Because standing behind God's promise is his own unchanging character that never proves to be anything less than altogether reliable. Friend, listen to me this morning. Christianity does not call you into an unreasonable leap of faith. If you're not a Christian here this morning, please understand that when we stand here, when as a Christian pastor, we stand behind a pulpit and preach, when we do this and plead with with sinners to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, we're we're not exhorting you to surrender your mind. In fact, we're calling you to use your mind so that you can investigate this altogether trustworthy God who has given us his word. That's why we urge people week in and week out to repent of their sins and to trust in Jesus because he is the one who said with his word of promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we stand here and we say without hesitation that you can be forgiven of the ocean of your guilt in your life as a result of trusting in Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave Because this is the word of God. And the God behind that word, here's the point, is utterly reliable. So we don't stand in the pulpit and call people to Jesus because we have given up our rationality. No, those of us who love God and have found him to be faithful, this faithful, unchanging God who always stands behind his promise, including the promise to forgive sin. This is not blind faith. This is not what some call fideism. This is not a faith devoid of intellectual substance. No, but like Sarah, we have come to know and understand certain truths about God. Truths like Deuteronomy 7, the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Psalm 89, 8, Lord God of hosts, who is strong like you, Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. Paul says he is trustworthy. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endured with him, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Friends, this is what faith is. It's the confident casting of oneself upon the promise of God. Faith is not a mindless, empty-headed approach to life, nor, nor is it a frenzied sort of emotionalism, but rather it's a clear-headed intelligence coming from reflection on the character of God, and his character is what gives credibility to his promises. His character gives credibility to his promises. God always keeps his word. Has he ever failed you? Has he ever not kept his word? Of course, he may not have answered you in your time. You may still be waiting on some things, but has he ever lied to you? Has he ever failed you? No. 
our testimony, our God's track record in our life and in the life of human history is that he always does what he says. Now, if you hear me, dear friend, if you're here this morning and you're not sure if you're a Christian, this is the point in which I want to urge you to consider this. If God does what he says and he has a track record of always doing that, then you need to get very serious about some things that God has said to you. Very serious. And this morning, that's why this morning I'm calling some of you to the promise of forgiveness of sins. Because standing behind that promise is a God that cannot lie. This is also a God who said that he would judge the world of of unrighteousness. Same God who's willing to forgive you. He's the judge of all the earth. And so we need to be right with God. And you can do that this morning. You can take care of that this morning. We would certainly love to help you do that as pastors. If you want to come and speak to us. But this is the kind of faith that is generated by the grace of God. And it's the kind of faith that Sarah had All right, so we've seen the struggle of Sarah's faith. We've looked at the foundation of Sarah's faith. She trusted in the promise of God and the character of God. And then finally, I I just want to show you here the fruit of Sarah's faith in verse 12. Now watch this. Verse 11 says, by faith, Sarah received the power to conceive. All right, and then verse 12 says, therefore, from one man... And him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. Did you notice how the text shifted from Sarah to Abraham? Sarah is in verse 11. Abraham's in verse 12. She was the focus of 11. And now Abraham is mentioned in 12. But this should not surprise us uh, because Abraham and Sarah walked this road of faith together. And there's no way that there could be descendants without the two of them. And so they're put together in this passage in a beautiful way. It's... Their life was filled with both triumph and sorrow. I mean, we're talking about a marriage that was flawed. We're talking about a difficult marriage, probably in some ways. I just want you to think about this. Together they waited for years. Together they foolishly pursued a shortcut with Hagar. Together they doubted what God said. Together they fell into sin. But also... Together they believed God, and together they had a son, and together they established a vast nation, and together they became examples of faith, and together they show up in Hebrews 11. Rough start, but a great finish. A very imperfect marriage, and yet one that made it to the end. Sometimes victorious, sometimes struggling, sometimes laughing, sometimes crying, sometimes disagreeing, sometimes agreeing, sometimes talking, sometimes silent, sometimes dreaming, sometimes despairing, seasons of struggle, times of dryness. But God was with them through it all and look how they finished. See, that's what matters. There's some great application in this for our marriages. I mean, in the course of our lifetime as married couples who are here this morning, we will go through a whole range of emotions. But Lord willing, someday we will look back on that marriage and we will say it was not always easy. And sometimes, in fact, it was very hard. But by God's grace, we finished the course together. Finish. You know, for some of you, you just need to finish. You just need to finish. Don't bail out. Some of you just need to get across the finish line. And that would be successful. It really would in our culture. I mean, it's sad to say that. But that's, that's the reality. There's a lot of pressure against us. There's a lot of sin and there's a lot of temptation. And I just urge you this morning, you finish. You finish your course. 
and finish it well. Faith is able to do so much more than any of us can do in our flesh. And as a result of Sarah's faith, God gave Abraham and Sarah as many descendants, look at verse 12, as the stars of the heaven. Now, that's hyperbole. All right? That's, that's exaggeration on purpose. It's intended to convey how massive the fruit of her faith was. But here's the point. God takes notice of our faith. Calvin says this. He says, even when our faith wavers or halts a bit, it does not cease to be approved by God. Provided that we don't give way to distrust. I love that. The life of faith is never a life of perfect faith. But when you look at such a life, you will see that faith clings tightly to God's faithfulness. And there will be times, and there's maybe times for some of you right now when that's, that's all you have. I mean, you're just clinging to God. That's all you have. Everything else is dried up. Every other hope, every other option, the medication won't work. Nothing else is going to happen. Nobody's there to support you. Nobody's around you. Nobody's helping you. You have no support group. You've lost all your family members. You have no money. You're broke. The medicine doesn't work. You're dead. You're toast. And the only thing you have to cling to is God. But here's the thing. That's all you need. You don't need that medicine ultimately. You don't need those people in that support group. Ultimately, you need God, the God of the Bible, to show up powerfully in your life and do some things. And a sovereign God can do some things. Don't fear. Continue to hope in God. He is ever faithful. And, and so that's, that's where we're at. Circumstances and situations will cause you to say it cannot be true. It will not happen. But in those times, cling to God. Hope in him. Faithful is he who promised. So here's the thing. Abraham and Sarah lay the foundation for a nation of people. Generations to come. I mean, you think, I was thinking about this, this just a couple days ago. All right, I mean, every Jew you shake hands with is a direct result of Sarah's faith. I mean, that's just ethnically speaking, okay? Now, when, when the New Testament broadens that picture out and says that, All of God's true people are those who have faith in Christ, are Abraham's sons. Now you think about the extent of Sarah's faith. Okay, we're talking about, over the course of human history, billions of people that have come as a direct result of Sarah's faith. And so Abraham and Sarah lay a foundation for a nation. And ultimately, through Sarah comes Isaac, and then through Isaac comes the Lord Jesus. And Matthew calls Jesus the son of Abraham. But equally, Jesus is a son of Sarah. So aren't you glad that Sarah trusted God? We have a savior because of her faith. A 90-year-old woman who had nothing left. She was thinking, I'm, I'm worn out. I'm old. I'm infertile. I've been barren my whole life. I'm a, I'm a disgrace in society. I have nothing left. Even my husband doesn't respect me because I couldn't bear him any children. And she's about to die and her faith is about gone. But she clings to God's promise. And she clings more importantly to the God who made the promise. And because she did that, we have Jesus Christ and a savior to save us from our sins. There is a great lesson in this. Do not give up. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how dark and how bleak things become, cling to God. Hold on to him. 
Mark 9.23 says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And see, here's the thing I'm praying for our church is that I'm praying that this promise would penetrate our hearts and cause us to pray for an increased faith. See, A.W. Pink says this, what is more glorifying to God than a confident looking to him to do in us that which mere flesh cannot produce? We need to examine the fruit of our life. Okay, just take a quick inventory. If, if the things that you're producing, the fruit of your ministry, the fruit of your parenting, the fruit of your marriage, the fruit of your whatever, come up with a category. If the fruit that you're producing is something that you can produce in the flesh, then you're not living by faith. And what we need to see around here is an increase of things for which there is no human explanation. We need to say, you know, people say this, it's it's, kind of cliche, and people say, well, that was a God thing. You heard people say that? But that's actually not a bad statement if you think about what the point of it is. It means that this is something that I could not have done, right? I mean, God came, this is a God thing, it was huge. It was way beyond me. So what we need is some more of those things. Well, there's no human explanation. You say, I, I mean, there's no way I could have worked that out. I didn't do that. I didn't perform that. I didn't, I didn't make that happen. May God grant that to us. That's why we're preaching this series. I mean, I want to see us step out and attempt some things in this church that are so God-sized that if God does not show up, we're toast. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you go out on a limb and you say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going out here, I'm taking a risk for Jesus and for, for the gospel and for the kingdom of God and for his church. And if God doesn't show up and help me here, I mean, I'm done. I'm not going to make it. I don't have the resources to do this. Let me give you some examples. How about somebody else move their family to the west side, the, to West 5th Street and help the clients with gospel incarnation, incarnating the gospel. Moving your whole family, I mean, that's a risk. That's a step. That's a, that's a thing saying, if we don't do this, you know, I mean, that's that we're going to have some struggle here if God doesn't come and help us. Or how about starting a business with a missional vision in mind? I was talking to a, to a guy a couple of weeks ago who's, who is working on a business right now. And the whole premise of the business is to make disciples of Jesus, not to make money. That's a risk. That's a huge risk because that, that thing could go, that thing could have financial problems and it could get them into some financial uh, issues. But here's the thing. They're going after it for God's glory. They're going after it for his kingdom. Or how about using the last 20 years or so of your life to do something like the Baldwins are doing? Or here's a real practical one. How about getting on a plane and visiting um, our missionaries in the Horn of Africa? Um, there seems to be a fear there. I don't know what it is, but I've, I've noticed it. I think it's just a fear you know, I don't want to be in a Muslim country. Um, and I mean, it's a natural fear, isn't it? ISIS is pretty, ser- pretty serious situation. But I don't even want to fly right now. I mean, flying, flying people, you might be saying, I don't even want to fly because flying is like really dangerous right now. And then you're going to ask me to fly into a Muslim country. And then, I mean, like, didn't Z just tell us, Ziambo, about Ebola? So like, you're asking me to fly to Africa? Where there's like Ebola right now? No way. I'm not doing that. 
around. <laughs> There's no way. I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not flying to a Muslim country where Ebola is. I'm not doing that. So Heath and Jessica, can, they can just continue to sit there and struggle because I can't help them. I can't. And I, I just want to. I just want to encourage you that that's not from faith. It's not from faith. Um, I would love to go there and visit them, but the thing is, I, I want to give. I want to give some of you all the opportunity to take a step of faith and go and see them. I I, I promise you will not be disappointed. Um, that will be a, a glorious expenditure of your time and your resources and your money. I just want to encourage you to think through that. I mean, this is the kind of things we're talking about. If God doesn't show up, I mean, our plane could crash. Of course. I could get Ebola. Of course. But we take risks for God's kingdom. Maybe you're saying, Jonathan, the thing is, you don't know me. I'm so weak. I, I am so fearful and helpless. I, I feel so lifeless. I feel lethargic. Well, here, here's some hope for you. So did Sarah. I mean, isn't that the point of the text? So did Sarah. And yet by faith, here's what happened. Notice the passive use here of the voice. She received, she received strength. She received power. Where did that come from? The God who spoke the world into existence gave her power, gave her strength. She received it. She received strength. Verse 11 It happened when she looked away from herself and fixed her eyes on God. See, faith is not preoccupied with self. Faith is preoccupied with God. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's meditating on the God who keeps you from... It's meditating on God. It's meditating on all of his character, his attributes. And that is what keeps you from, from wavering. Thomas Manton says it this way. He says, every promise of God should be attached to this consideration. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, God rewarded Sarah. But you know, the last thing I want to say is this. Is Sarah didn't live to see the ultimate end of her faith. Genesis 23, 1 says that when she was 127 years old, she died. And that means that she lived for 37 years after Isaac was born. But here's, but here's the thing. She didn't live long enough to see Isaac's wife, Rebecca. She never met her. And she never met her grandsons, Jacob and Esau. Her grandsons. And she never met her great-grandchildren, who were the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. What a lineage. What a life. She never knew any of that because she only lived long enough to experience Isaac's birth and his growing up years, his adolescence. She would never see the descendants, as God said, as numerous as the stars in the sky. But here's the thing. Here's what she did. She believed anyway. And God gave her a foretaste of what was to come. And here's the thing. She left a legacy. Do not underestimate the power of one life of faith. Now, let me end this way. Do you see the gospel in this story? Remember how Sarah laughed in the tent? 
That was a laugh of unbelief, wasn't it? She was hopeless. It was really two kind of laughters. You know, there's that uncomfortable laughter. Have you seen that? It's kind of a hopeless laughter. It's just really, it's really awkward, uncomfortable. It's just cynical laughter. And then there's a laugh from real joy and hope. Okay? And, and she was hopeless. Her laugh was cynical. She was saying, I'm beyond hope. I'm barren. My life has been a failure. She was self-loathing. She was self-hating to a degree. And God said, listen, I'm going to turn that cynical laugh into a different type of laugh. See, the way you know the difference between a person that really knows God and a religious moralist, somebody who's just going through the motions, is this issue of wonder. Wonder, something that they're, they're awed by. Is anything too wonderful for them? Ask a religious person if they're a believer, and they'll say, well, sure. But there's no wonder and amazement in their life. But ask a true Christian, and they'll say, yes, and what a wonder it is that God saved me. Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be that thou my God should die for me? There it is. That's wonder and amazement out of the lips of somebody who understands grace. And this is what happened to Sarah in Genesis 22. We read that the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. He keeps his word, doesn't he? And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. You see, God turned her hopeless laughter into the laughter of hope. And that's the gospel. And that's what we all so desperately need to hear again this morning. Some of you need your cynical laughter. Your laughter of hopelessness turned into a real laugh of joy. Are you resting in the promise and character of God this morning? Like Sarah? Believe in Christ today. If you're a Christian, believe afresh in Christ today. Take him at his word. He is the only one that can save you, my friend. Because he is the only one who is perfectly able to keep his promise. And he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you instruct us through it. Thank you for the life of Sarah. Thank you that Jesus came through her line and thank you for her faith. Thank you that when our faith fails, that you're holding on to us and that you are faithful and that you strengthen us. Lord, work this deep into our church so that we can become a people that operate on a different level not on this ordinary fleshly level, but on a, on a God-sized level, attempting great things for God, believing you for great things. We ask you for help. We need it. We are, we're, we're desperate. We are so needy. Lord, turn our laughter of cynicism, our, 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 our uncomfortable, disbelieving, distrusting laugh into a real laugh of joy because you have done great things in our life and we trusted you for big things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.